Thank you for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. As host, I've had the privilege of meeting a number of fascinating people that have shared their stories in the pre-COVID, COVID, and more recently in the early post-COVID months. Out of 186 podcasts to date, none stand out more than my chats with James McCare from the Calgary Food Bank, episode 82, and Laurie McRitchie from Airdrie Food Bank, episode 178. The Food Bank relies upon the support from the local community, and as many know, this support was very prominent during the COVID lockdown period. Now that businesses and activities have opened up across the globe, including children returning to school, it can be very easy to forget about those in real need of food donation. Take the time to donate to the food bank, whether it is at your local grocery store, such as the hampers placed by the cashier at Sobeys, or at the physical locations of both Calgary and Airdrie food banks, or online at the Canada Food Bank's website, www.foodbankscanada.ca. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day and stay safe. Pierre, is that you? Yes, Helen. <laughs> Welcome to Calgary Business Podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm going to steal from your website, and I think we just unlocked the secret to the Brain Podcast. I mean, this is, we really, we, I think we've, we have, what would you call it, three times lucky? We, uh... Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm, uh, well, I'm, I'm glad that we finally can make it work. Well, good. Well, you know, Pierre, this is episode number 193, so I... You know, we're getting close to 200 and we're unlocking some other other secrets, I guess. But uh, look, let's go to your business, New, New Aura, and let you, Newer Aura, I want to get you that right, and introduce yourself and, and we go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, no issue regarding the name and the pronunciation of the company. I think everyone is tripping a bit on that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it sounds better in French. Um, really? Yeah. So, so say it in French. Come on, please. Neurora? No, okay, because you so the R is <laughs> no, but the R is more definite because in English, I tend to I look at it, I think new aura and I forget the R. Yeah, is that that that's okay. Well, you know, maybe one day we'll change it. We will see whatever works for people. Um, at the end, I think it's really about more what we do than how it sounds. Um, so yeah, a bit of uh, background about myself, the company. So you know, as you and everyone will recognize from my accent. I'm actually not a, a real Canadian. I was uh, born and raised in uh, France, close to the Alps, and yeah. uh, did my first engineering degree there. Um, I was always passionate about how humans and machines interact with each other. So my first engineering degree was on human factor engineering and user experience. So basically, yeah. how do you build devices that uh, match the end user's needs? You know, you always build something whether that is you know a software yeah. website or any piece of hardware with the end users in mind so i mean just stop there because i, I wanted to so is it in the south of france Lyon, or i mean i'm just uh, to get the perspective yeah i did my school uh engineering school in uh, bordeaux so southwest ah, close to spain amazing, I know it. amazing wine yeah. <laughs> wow what i mean so like because i want a human engineering degree like literally you just said, I want to learn about the human mechanics and then how it applies. I mean, just it's interesting. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I feel like, you know, science and engineering to me is for humanity and uh, bring humanity to a next level, better quality of life, better better way of, you know, communicating and yeah. uh, et cetera. And so 
you know, while we, I always wanted to be a bit different, you know, I, was, I wasn't very interested into electrical engineering or software or hardware. I needed to be something a bit more unique. Um, and yeah, I did that. And then I did a few internships, um, ended up doing one of my last ones for a large company in Paris called Essilor uh, International. It's a, it's a very large uh, company, medical device company that does right. so um uh, often it lenses as they call business. And, uh, you know, I realized then that uh, everyone in this company who was leading a department or, you know, leading even a program had a PhD, if not a PhD plus an MBA. And right. I, I realized, oh boy, like if I one day want to get this type of position in the field of, that I'm in, you know, maybe, maybe I should get my PhD as well. And that was in 2012, 2011, 2012. And, um, you know, I, yeah, and you didn't take it. You were I'm looking neuroengineer. So you went from the human to the inside, to the brain, right? Neuro, you basically did your PhD in neuroengineering. Yeah, exactly. And so that's, that's how I decided to come to Calgary, do my PhD in neuroengineering. And, and to me, you know, it's, it's kind of the same stuff. It's just a little closer to the body. And, you know, it's like, what if you could wow. interact with the system without thinking really about it? What if it was seeming less and, uh, to me, this is, you know, this century is more and more people think it's going to be the bionic century, you know, when we're going to look back where humans and machines get more integrated with each other. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it sounds sci-fi, but we are getting there. And uh, it's in our hands to make it uh, a beautiful thing. Well, I think Hollywood was probably a little farther ahead if you take some older movies. But um, look, because look I'm looking back at the time, 2012, and you were probably influenced by, I mean, Google bought DeepMind, I think, sometime around then. I don't know if you know that uh, company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're in, I think they're in the UK. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there was that movie that came out probably around the time of Brilliant Mind, Russell Crowe and John Nash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, he, won the, he, he won the Nobel Prize, but, I mean, he also had, I don't know, schizophrenia or something, but that, that's a real mind. He had a brilliant mind. Yeah. Yet he had also, in, uh, you know, he had the influences to his to his uh to what was going on anyway so i don't want to steal your thunder so phd in neuroengineering literally you're studying the mind and you're learning deeply a lot of different things i mean so is that where newer aura came from well yeah but it didn't start exactly you know i, I didn't thought about creating <laughs> a company when i was doing my phd i was uh yeah i, I realized only at the end of my phd that i was a quite a nerdy person <laughs> Um, you know, I, when you, when you hang out with nerds, you just, you just don't realize you're a nerd yourself. <laughs> um, so I uh, only realized that at the end, um, but during my PhD, you know, I was extremely fortunate to be, uh, I had Dr. Nawid Syed as my supervisor, uh, who is a, a big figure in the domain, uh, yeah. part of the Hodgkinspin Institute, um, and the biomedical engineering program at the University of Calgary. Also working right. with uh, Colin Dalton, uh, who is now one of the co-founders, and really, you know, very lucky to be surrounded by extremely smart, talented scientists and engineers. Um, that's brought me to the level that I am today. And so, during my PhD, we, you know, quickly we realized that we want to sense the brain. We want to better understand what's happening in a brain. But yeah. the signal we are getting today from sensors is crap, and you know, you can you talk about Google and um, investing in companies doing machine learning and AI and yeah. data analytics, but what is the value of data 
if there is so much cleaning to do behind that it almost never works and you can kind of get garbage in, garbage out. Right. You know, it's like data, we say, you know, it's a new oil, but at the end of the day, it can be a dirty oil as well that's polluted the entire data environment. And so you want to make sure you get clean data to start with. So let's, let's, let's unpack that because this is important because big data, you've mentioned it several times, machine learning, big data. So why is it dirty or why is it garbage or, you know, let's, cause I, this is important. This is important for a lot of uh, things are going on today. Absolutely. And, and, you know, when our, in our health uh, data environment, we, we are pumping data like crazy and it's, we are yep. just scratching the surface and we really need to make sure we understand how to do that correctly moving forward. Otherwise, we're going to basically, you know, clog the system with too much data. So what I mean by good data is you need to identify what first data are actually relevant for what you want to do. That's the first thing. Right. And then the data you collect, how do you make sure that when you compare them or do any type of correlation, you actually compare apples to apples and things that actually make sense. Yeah. And so, you know, these are things like that. And then in our case for, you know, the brain, uh, we looked at the quality of a signal. So, you know, the brain is composed of billions of neurons and yeah. those neurons basically uh, communicate with each other's thanks to what's called action potentials, right? They are <laughs> these tiny little electrical currents uh, and you need to be able to pick up these little currents in order for you to understand what these neurons are saying. Um, now, if you, if you have sensors that record activity from thousands of neurons at the same time, then they all talk to each other at the same time, it makes it extremely difficult to understand what is happening. You know, it, right. it's kind of like you're going to go, um, I, I always like give that example, but imagine you go to, to watch uh, a hockey game and the flames are playing and yeah. your friend is talking next to you at the same time, but suddenly there's a goal, you know, and, and everyone is shouting at the same time. <laughs> Well, you won't hear what your friend is talking. And maybe he's telling you about, you know, giving you an amazing gift and you're going to miss that. So yeah, yeah. that's the exact same thing. You know, if you... So the noise, the clutter. Yeah. There's a lot of the neurons are firing all over the place. Yeah. But if you drill down and narrow down to the focus, because I'm just literally I got two examples because you get this one on the Google. So you, you mentioned Google. We mentioned Google. And, you know, the when you that Google is using the pixel, the machine learning to look at when you gotcha. And I don't know if you have it on your website, but the captcha, you know, the gotcha, whatever you recaptcha. Mm -hmm. And if it says before it was, it was images, it was, it was letters, A, B, C, D, E. Now it's pictures. So Google says, Google, Google is behind that. Mm -hmm. Google's behind. So it's called, it's called the crowdsourcing. And so the basically pushes it to that nine seconds to verify that you're a human. They're also, they're also using you to use your mind to say, is that a bridge? Is that a, <laughs> is that a smokestack? Yeah. Are those crosswalks, right? Yeah. That's, that's Google. Oh, that's, they are smart. They are very smart. <laughs> <laughs> so I, want, I, like, I, want, I like that. We can, go, we, can, we can come some more examples later, but that, I love that. So it's all the noise. So you're cluttering. You're looking for how to find the neurons at the relevant topic. How do you drill down? Yeah. So, you know, we, the, the noise in the data we collect from the brain um, we quickly realized we had to find a different way to sense the brain. Like we had to find a way that provides this clean data so we can actually interpret and figure out what to do. So one day we can yeah. have, you know, patients going through a monitoring system and we will know what to yeah. do with that patients, right? Um, 
And so we, we basically went back to the fundamentals of how do you design a sensor? And in this case, we are talking about a micro sensor. Uh, why micro? Because a neurons in your brain will be, you know, in the range from 10 to 25 micrometers in diameter, maybe. So you really need to, to build a sensor that can, you know, match that size. It's like, if wow. you imagine like, you know, you go to the doctor and the doctors pull out the stethoscope and the stethoscope is in comparison, maybe two kilometers in diameter. It's going to be way too big to listen <laughs> to your heart, right? It's the exact same thing. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. I'm sorry. This is brilliant because you're really bringing it like it's just, it's just the relevancy and you can give examples that are, that's, ex I love it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we, um, you know, we basically went back to how to design those sensors. Uh, we used the yeah. microfabrication facility in the hub at the University of uh, Calgary. And that's wow. how, you know, Colin Dalton and myself got more closely involved because he's the director of that hub. And so we basically linked, you know, microengineering fabrication techniques uh, to neuroscience. And we developed sensors that we orig originally tested with snail neurons and then to uh, mice cultured neurons in a petri dish, basically. And then yeah. we did the same thing with brain slices. And every time we were improving and improving the quality of the sensors. And one day we basically realized that we were starting to see activity that we could never see before. Um, and we, we basically patented these, these sensors uh, thanks to the University of Calgary and their support. Um, yeah. And yeah, you know, we had that. And at the end of my PhD, we had two patents. And then what happened is I, I took a few classes in entrepreneurship at the University of Calgary during my PhD, uh, thanks to right, the uh, right. Hunter Center, the Hunter Hub for Entrepreneurship. That's right. And yeah. um, am amazing resources, by the way. Like anyone, any students, uh, if they listen to that postcard, they should go and check what they're doing. It's amazing. And um, they, they really changed my mind about entrepreneurship. You know, before I was thinking that entrepreneurship was not for me. Why would you do that? It's way too risky. Why don't you just get a job and, and get a paycheck at the end and you know, right. climb the ladder of, um, in, in a big company? But then, you know, then comes the question of, hey, I've done a PhD for a few years. Yeah. Oh, Pierre. Pierre, we seem to have lost you. For the listeners out there, we've lost Pierre. Pierre, I might have to, I might have to stop and recall. Um, yeah, let's stop that there. Pierre, you're back. I'm back. <laughs> so let, let's let's continue with a little bit of a hiccup there. The technology isn't quite, uh, you know, hitting on all the neurons. So, but you you mentioned you were you just left off with. I was took PhD. I took spent a lot of years on that, and I thought, yeah, entrepreneurship. Okay. Yeah, and so you know, you wonder, okay, imagine now you have this piece of technology that you know can impact one day a patient. You know, it has this potential, and you can see it. And then you try to see how you can have it go to a patient, and you understand all this, all this, you know, creating a having a company that does that. There's right. Luxury. There is uh, clinical. There is investments. There is commercialization. And then you realize, Jesus, maybe maybe doing science and research was only maybe ten or fifteen percent of the innovation, and right. the eighty-five, ninety percent of the innovation that remains 
uh, is on the um, the commercialization aspects. And then what happens is you think about all the research you have done. Yeah. And um, you realize, well, if I don't do anything with that, I'm never going to impact a patient. And so if you if you don't do anything with it, then you basically um, have to live with that for the rest of your life, thinking, yeah. okay, maybe I had a piece of technology that can change humanity, but I never did anything with it. And I, we just didn't want to do that. So we, at the same time, the Creative Destruction Lab program started in Calgary. Oh, yeah, yeah, CDL, yeah, that's right. And um, the, uh, you know, we, we basically sat down in Colin's office and we realized, you know, let, let's apply. <laughs> yeah. and let, let's see how far we go. That's brilliant. Well, it, 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 there's a fellow, um, I, I can't remember, the, uh, I can't remember, is it Hugh? Um, there's one of, the, one of the fellows at CDL, his name comes up some, from, time, from time to time at the UFC. But you know what? You're speaking about something I've seen the last, a, a huge trend, and it's the venture capital side, say in Boston, in New York, and, and, and in that bios, I call it, I don't really call it biosciences, but there's what they're doing, the venture capital companies, they're, they're hiring people like you who understand the tech for them to help them to invest in companies like your, like Norora. That's mm -hmm. literally the, the scientists and the PhDs that are working. Literally, I could, I could send you examples where they're just some of the big companies uh, in, in uh, Boston. But anyway, good. So, so you sat in Colin's office. Let's do CDL. How, how long was the program at CDL? Well, it, it lasts for about eight months, I think it was, about yeah. that time. Um, that was a, an amazing program for us. Like it was transformational from a personal but also professional perspective you know we're like sure we were like two nerdy scientists when you nothing about business <laughs> and we basically and and right. by, by the way every time i say nerdy it's it's almost there's nothing wrong with that i think it's great to be a nerd um, you got the einstein hair you got yeah. come on, you've got the, you've got the einstein hair come on you well, could have it anyway. I, I had it i had to change that <laughs> yeah, but, yeah i had it for sure yeah <laughs> um i love that the nutty professor but there was movies on that but they play, it, it's just a true because you're really you're, you're probably immersed in the, the studying of it, and that's probably it. You're late nights, under the microscope, whatever it is. I mean, I, your sensors, you're talking micro sensors, so they're tiny. Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're dealing with uh, precision equipment. Yeah, yeah. the, the sensors are about a, a quarter from the diameter of your hair, so pretty, pretty tiny. Um, so, yeah, we, um, you know, we went back in front of, we went to that room, basically, filled with advisors, investors, and we yeah. said, we don't know what we're doing. We know we can do this and this and that, but we really right. need help. And, um, and, you know, people looked at us with sometimes, oh, what are these people doing with like brain sensors? But then a few people started to, to take a look at us and the light bulb, the light bulb went on. Yeah, it, it took a bit of time, but then the light bulb yeah. went on and, and that was fantastic. It's uh, we, we found a community of people that are extremely supportive, but yeah, you know, so inspiring, you know, inspiring is, is the right word. Like they are mentors where you're like, wow, like they, they went themselves on an entrepreneurial journey. We sure. sometimes did tech and they were successful multiple times and you want to learn from these people. You know, you remind me, your, your words remind me when I had Vicky Knott, she's from Crux OCM. So Vicky, a little bit different to oil and gas pipeline monitoring. And she said, so I went to this, I went to a tech stars, similar uh, accelerator. And they, they were talking things like sales pipeline. And I'm like, I've dealt with pipelines, but never a sales pipeline. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we uh, we basically, you know, even the idea of Neuro at that time was a bit vague. You know, we thought about using sensor for drug screening applications. 
and uh, and then quickly the the ideas were, was more around brain implant and neuromodulation. Yeah. And um, then we had to figure out okay, what's going to be our market. Um, during that time, we also uh, had uh, were working with Claire Dixon, um, who was working at CDL as well. And oh, okay. You know we. Claire comes with an amazing amount of experience and expertise in in business, and right. she she was really the the missing piece in our team. Um, so we uh, we basically when we finished CDL, we basically told Claire, okay, Claire, uh, we are onboarding you, and we are all all three co-founders. Uh, so nice. you know, it was um, not only it was an amazing community, but we we found people that joined the team and that made us stronger. You know, you talk about studying the brain because I, I, I just wanted, I think I mentioned this offline. Kareem Delgado was on a few months back on, and he's with Brain Mechanics. Now they're studying Alzheimer's with using machine learning. And I, I don't know about sensors. I, I, there's something there and maybe I can link you guys offline. But your studying looks like epilepsy or that's, you're really focused on epilepsy. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. You know, like brain, brain neurotechnologies is the fastest growing field in medical devices. Um, it is growing at a rate of 11% a year, which is like yeah. pretty fast for a medical device environment. Um, and, and the market is, is booming as well. Um, it's multiple billions of dollars and it's growing every year. Imagine, imagine basically a pacemaker for the heart. So now you think about you the market. For the brain. You, market for, you think about the market for the heart and then you're like, well, the, the market for the brain is actually, we think about 12 times bigger because of all the type of uh, disease you can treat. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's improving, or sorry, it's, the market is growing at an incredible rate. And then yeah. there is a lot of work for everyone to do. You know, it, it's, uh, it's competitive, sure, but at the same time, we are at a stage where we believe that everyone can have a piece of the pie um, because there's so much work to do. Well, I mean, I mean, you use the word slicing the brain, but I mean, there's that movie concussion which, you know, and, and if, I don't know if you know the movie where the, the, the it's called CDE, the, the disease they, they came with that, or CBE. Yeah. It, so that was that so-called brain disease, but you only detect it after and look, and you look at the, you know, you look at it afterwards when a dead, when a, a person's dead, you do a biopsy or whatever it's called, not biopsy, but anyway, autopsy, I, look, I'm getting ahead of myself, but literally I was, I had uh, Kyla Zlapsky on, we were talking about this, so, so for brain disease, that could just be one element of a long list. Yeah, and get, you know, where it's like people get diagnosed with that. It's convenient to say concussion, but literally it could be one of many different diseases. So I, I hear you. I think there's this, the space is, is probably huge. And, and if, you know, you've touched on it. I mean, let, let's go back to your PhD. Were you, were you seeing innovation around, but not necessarily something you, you know, because you said right away, you weren't really thinking I'm going to go into business. But were you seeing it while you were doing your research? People had some cool devices and things they were doing out there? Oh, we see that all the time. Like, yeah. we see that all the time. There's, like, so many smart people, so many people that, that develop new things around you. Um, but finding the right market fit is is key, you know? So finding where what you do is going to be applied to. And, you know, also, yeah. how do you do your research? I was I was fortunate, as I mentioned, to to go for human factor engineering training before. So I knew that whatever I design and work on, it needs to have an impact on the end users. You know, that that's key. How, and then you, you walk back from there and you're like, okay, what do they need and what do I need to make that work? And so yeah. sometimes you have technology that don't have a market fit. Sometimes you have 
a technology that has a market fit, but you don't see that or you don't really know how to make it move to the next stages. Um, it, it's a very complex environment. It is. Um, this, and I, I want on, on that point to mention that, you know, it's, it's incredible. Uh, you know, we, we work with people at the Hodgkinsman uh, Institute or the Cummings School of Medicine. Yeah. Um, they're like world-recognized people. Like they, we talk to people at UCLA or Mayo Clinic and they're like, oh, you're from Calgary. So you know this and these people. Nice, it's like nice. You, we don't know or we don't maybe realize the pool of yeah. talents we have in our background. And that is, you know, it feels good. <laughs> it feels great. Well, I guess it's because you're getting into the back to your, the, what do you call the nerds or whatever, but literally then your thought leaders. Yeah. People are doing similar, but not in the same place because you can only, you know, you can only do so much here. And then, you know, when it, it's, you go so far, yeah. I'm sure about your PhD level, the CDL. I mean, I'm thinking when, you know, listening to you speak and I think this has got world, literally, you know, you've got Boston. I mentioned Boston, but you've got New York City, you've got Toronto, Silicon Valley, you know, and you've mentioned UCLA, which takes you into LA. But surely this has, you know, wide scale use. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Is that? Yeah. No, surely. And, and you know, the, what what we see around as well, like um, we see in the field of neurotech in general that um, the, the development of drugs for the brain and, you know, going back to the disease in general and the, the yeah. amount of disease, you, you never heard of a pill that you can take to cure Alzheimer or epilepsy or uh, depression or addiction, right? Like it's, it's, you are always managing the symptoms. And so and oh, right, managing the patients, right. you know, it's, it's a lot of patient management and family management down the line as well. The and this is where like new technologies come in because we try to fill gaps where uh, pharma have filled, um, and we tried also in that regard to then also not have certain side effects because we can be more precise on how we do certain treatments. Uh, you know, you can stimulate right. a very tiny part of the brain and and not affect the rest of the brain, for example. So, well, so let's go. Let let's let's talk that about that because if pharma is not covering it, where was it? so there was no incentives. I mean, what, when you came into your, re let's take your research, nobody's in that area because the drugs were covering it, as you said, symptoms and maybe, maybe more high profile cases. This is the low, is it a low hanging fruit or is it where nobody really wanted to touch these areas like Alzheimer's and epilepsy? What's, oh, they, they, if drugs. Yeah, they, they are like, there are people tapping into these areas, like many people. Yeah. Um, but the challenge is how do you bring those to commercialization often? Um, right. There's, there's that part and, you know, what we are doing even at Genoa, you know, I always assume that uh, there's probably five other people around the world trying to do the exact same thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. But again, the innovation and the, the challenges, once you have passed some of the technical uh, blocks, are all on the commercialization yep. side. Right. How to scale, how to get mass exactly. to, to scale and, and, and economies of scale. Yeah. But let's go, I mean, in terms of the, I mean, I remember a book way back called Flowers for Alger Algernon. Okay. And I don't know if you, you know, so, the, and I, I can't remember who wrote it. It was Aldous, not Aldous Huxley. I can't remember who wrote it, but it does. But literally the book was the PhD, or not PhD. I think he was, a, not Alzheimer's, but he was given drugs and suddenly had this clarity and his whole life was, you know, he was in an institution and then I, I and it literally, and the book is written from his person. Like he, he has no mind in the beginning. And then it goes through the whole thing where he has clarity and he, and he falls off. They take him off the drug. And I don't know if it was, I don't think it was Alzheimer's, but anyway, have you heard of that? Have you heard no, of that? No, I never, no. <laughs> okay. I mean, I read it so long ago, but it, you know, there's movies on that where they give the drugs to different patients and then they have the, they go up and then they go back down, okay. you know? 
But so it sounds like, you know, there's been no incentive. Maybe if the drugs didn't cover it, there's no incentive. And to your point, because it wasn't commercial. And now suddenly the tech is caught up. The tech is caught up to the brain because the brain is wired. You know, as people always say, you know, if we could work like the brain, in this case, you're working for the brain. You're looking to work mm -hmm. for the brain. Yeah. Yeah. We, we really believe, you know, it's down the line, there's going to be this, I don't know if I would call it symbiosis, but it's more about, you know, the system is going to learn about the brain activity and you're also going to learn how the system works. Think about the cochlear implant in a way, right? It's kind of similar in a way. Yeah. For the ear, exactly. for, the, exactly. for the ears. Right? So yeah. someone who gets uh, implanted with a cochlear implant, then they, um, they have to learn, you know, what type of sound is coming from that implant and, and get used to that new sound that's described the environment around them. Uh, yeah. And the system also, you know, eventually can learn also what's, what type of sound is, are being recognized. Uh, that's, you know, next generation of cochlear implants. I mean, this is incredible because if I think of the brain, the machine learning, this, you thought we, st we started this, you mentioned about machine learning, the mm -hmm. data. So the brain, if the, the machine now can learn how the brain is thinking, the brain it can improve. I mean, I just see it, it's ubiquitous because it's just going to be continuously back and forth. Because if you listen to the natural language processing, how with, they're using machine learning to, to look at the, the language and it reads thousands of lines mm -hmm. of text. And that text then gets come back, it feeds back, and you as an individual would probably sit and go, okay, that's where that picture correction comes in. Now the language correction comes in. The human will come back in, and the machine's going to learn, it spits it back, and says, all right, the next time, the text is going to be improved. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's going to be one of those, you know, challenges or new discoveries we're going to make, you know, in the next, in the next few years about how machines and, and the brain can communicate together a bit more. Um, yeah, it is. It is scary in a way, uh, as as it is with any new technologies in this area. But it's also fascinating, and and we 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 see the potential that it can have to to save millions of people's life, and that's that's what yeah. matters. That's why we do it. Um, I think there is there needs to be also um, an ethical debate that starts about it. You know, there there are some publications around, and there are some people talking about it, but. Um, when you start yeah. to talk about, you know, we already talk about, you know, losing your personal data when you when you go online and, and things like that. And That's if, right. you, if you don't pay for something like you are the product. Right. So now, you know, these conversations can also be discussed around um, what are implants making of us? Who we are? Who are we? And like, why do why, What do we what are we going to accept or not accept? Um how do we do things correctly in a regulated environment that um, really focuses on improving humanity and not doing anything sketchy? Um, well, that's what the, I mean. The open AI, if you've heard of mm -hmm. them, but it's, you know, they're, they're massive and, and there's some pretty big names behind it. And I think one of them was Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. He started, you know, their, their intention is that exactly to keep AI, to, to keep a sense check yeah. on AI. Yeah. <laughs> to your yeah. to your point, but uh, you know, I wanted to touch on something because you, you remind me a lot of Rick Rick Hugh or Richard Hugh came out of um, out of the uh, kind of the foothills. He's a neurosurgeon or orthopedic surgeon, and he he wanted to he he came up with Viva Metrica. He was on my podcast some time ago, and so there he was an orthopedic surgeon. He just wanted to help patients after recovery. And I think there was something on your website that talked about it, it triggered my helping patients or mm -hmm. helping people. 
And his, so he went from, you know, using Fitbits and different to monitor patient recovery to suddenly that had a different purpose, meaning wellness, health and wellness and insurance, mm-hmm. insurance companies. And then they were bought out by a company called Sprout. But, you know, it just, it triggers, you've started out with a PhD. Now you're over here with the sensors on, on epilepsy. Is that where you're going to, you know, you're now, you've ne- drilled it down to epilepsy, but could that have other applications? Yeah, for us, you know, epilepsy is just a starting point. Um, why? Yeah. Because epilepsy, you know, the field of epilepsy for drugs uh, or surgery hasn't seen tons of innovation in in the last few decades. And they've uh, right. a huge underserved population that needs to receive the treatment that they should have. Um, and they don't get it for multiple reasons. First, because sometimes those treatments are not available to them or they don't get referred to the right doctors or the, the, yeah. the cost of the surgery will be too hard, like too, too costly in, in, in the US, for example, sometimes. So there is multiple reasons. Um, now, we see that our technology can improve that and we can really fill a gap in, in epilepsy surgery specifically. Yeah. Uh, but that is also like epileptic pa- epilepsy patients are... Uh, the perfect population to analyze the brain. And the, the reason behind is because they are, as I mentioned, epilepsy surgery, which is an established surgery that is done, you know, quite regularly in, in different places around the world, including here in Calgary. In right. And so when you have access to a patient's brain, suddenly you can better or try to better understand how to treat certain conditions. So our vision is actually to start with epilepsy surgery as a niche market and then use epilepsy as um, uh, or these grounds to actually develop a therapeutic solution for epilepsy. But then we can also see, yeah. you know, you have epileptic patients that, for example, suffer from epilepsy, but also addiction or depression. What if we could use the same, oh, what if right. we could use the same technology to understand how we can also treat those different conditions and then tap into, um, you know, different markets that helps even more people. So this is why we are very interested in epilepsy. Uh, it, is, it is a niche market. It is a pretty substantial market, but still niche. Um, and we believe yeah. that it's going to open door and, and be the, the ground for helping another, a few other million people. So let's, uh, I want to switch gears because you mentioned something earlier that, you know, when you're in your uh, CDL lab and there were some people get it, some people kind of didn't understand it and then some got it. Does that transcend over when you into that fundraising? I know you've talked about fundraising. If you can speak about that in general, or if you want to be specific, but I'm just, I, you know, because it's I'm listening to you and it's very technical. So, do you get the same when you're talking on the fundraising side? As some get it and some don't. Um, yeah, absolutely. So you know, like one, one thing you learn as uh, you develop a company and go fundraise is that you need to break down um, the the technical things to a minimum. Um, and you need to make things very easy, as I said, as if your grandmother or your grandfather will be listening. Um, yeah. But then, you know, it's also like investors wants to see that there is a business opportunity. And then, you know, your, your pitch or the discussion gravitates quickly around the commercialization aspect and the, the, the actual yeah. market and, you know, what's your traction, etc. Um, so it becomes more and more of a business discussion. Um, and so you need to be as an entrepreneur, especially when you are a founder of a company and on the tech side, you really have to link those two together. Um, now in terms of raising capital, you know, we, we found investors that, um, 
they just don't want to touch implants. Uh, they don't want to touch anything that's entered the body because there is a specific level of regulation for that, and that's okay. Uh, sometimes oh, okay. they like okay. implants, but they don't want to touch anything that is related to the brain, and that's okay too. Um, there, there is, we believe, capital out there, and many people tell us that as well, but it's about finding the right strategic investor that not only is keen to, to understand what you are doing, but also can open the doors for you to move the company faster in certain directions. Um, this, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like dating. It's really, it's, it's really dating. You just, uh, um, you, you often have to try and, and talk to multiple people in order to find the, the perfect match. No, I understand. <laughs> Trust me. I, I spent a couple of year, a year looking at blockchain and, and seeking funding. And uh, if they're not talking about blockchain, if they're not asking about the blockchain, there's something wrong. And that was, it was clear early yeah. on in the pitch that, you know, and you're doing a conference call and that there was a different time. That was three years ago before pre-Zoom, yeah. <laughs> pre-Zoom calls. And you're like, why aren't you asking about blockchain? Because I'm, I'm not the expert, but my guy on the phone is, and he's here for that. Well, we, we just want to talk about your, your, your SWOT analysis, <laughs> you know? Okay. But, but you don't know about the technology SWOT. I can do, I'm an accountant. I've done it for, yeah. yeah. I, anyway. Wow. I mean, literally this is exciting because you're, you're, first of all, you've, you've gone from, you know, PhD to entrepreneur, you've done, you've done an accelerator and you're going to market and fund. I mean, see, that's that part of it, right? Where you said you did 10%, you studied, mind you, 90% of your time was spent studying. Suddenly when you came to the market, you literally had to learn all the other things that go around. It's so fantastic. So, oh, one last question, Australia link. There's, there's a, something with Australia on your website. Is that just your founders uh, are from there? No, it's actually, it's actually, Co-founders? um, we, we explored the world like North America and different places in Europe and Asia and Australia to figure out, you know, different partners. We are surrounded by multiple key opinion leaders. Uh, and I'm talking about surgeons, neurosurgeons and doctors that are yeah. big, big people in the field. And so what we have found actually in Australia and especially in Melbourne um, is that there's a cluster of neurotech experts from the engineering nice. side, clinical side, and commercialization side that have been in the industry for decades. Uh, there's a lot of innovation in the neurotech space coming from there. It's, and it's also very, a very supportive environment. You know, we, we can meet doctors that are competing against each other on, on, the, on the research, but they're still going to help each other. Yeah. And they're still going to... Wow, yeah, very, it's, collab- it's very so collaborative, very collaborative. Nice. Um, so very smart people, very collaborative. And on top of that, um, there's a program in Australia that allows for companies to uh, do clinical trials or any type of research-related work and get uh, 43 cents back on every dollars they spend. So kind of a, a research tax intensive like, like we have in, in Canada with shred credits. But uh, in that case, they applied for clinical work as well, which is obviously something that nice. is pretty big for a startup like us. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, because when, when I was working in Norway there's, a few years back, the, the Norwegians were giving foreign companies to, you know, to drill in the North Sea. Basically, if you spend a dollar cap, it's similar, they'd give you back yeah. certain funds from your capex. But you obviously had to have the money and it's quite expensive. But that, that just, uh, you know, that fosters innovation. It gets people mm-hmm. in and doing things. And yep. wow. Pierre, I, you know, this has been a fantastic time. Noor, okay, so where's the name? Because ah. this is my last, <laughs> last question. Newer Aura, because new, it's newer. Is it just, is it a French? No. Is it come so, from French? The newer. The, um, here's what happens. Um, 
we we basically <laughs> you know brainstormed a bunch of names and um <laughs> no pun yeah, intended we, we brainstorm gave, we gave come on two hours you know we were like you know it's just a name at the end of the day yeah. you still need to execute and do the work so we won't spend too much time on the name and so yeah, yeah. neuro is actually um the combination of a neuron uh you know brain in a cell in your brain yeah. and an, an aura is actually a feeling a sensation that certain patients uh affected by epilepsy for example will feel before they have a seizures it may be like a, a tingling in the fingers, ah. can be a headache, can be sometimes a taste of maybe strawberries in the mouth, who knows. Um, but it's, it's a feeling wow. that a seizure is coming. And that neuroa is basically, hey, what if we could sense this aura and basically be able to stop yeah. the seizures before it starts? Uh, and that, that's really the origin of the name. Wow. Um, you know, and in all transparency, we had a list of different names. And after two hours, we realized it was the only one that... That, that had That's a brilliant. <laughs> and we jumped on it, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. There's a kind of a dot medicine or dot some. But you, that just, there was a TED talk I listened to maybe six months ago, and the guy, his father died of a heart attack. And so he spent his entire, whatever, adult life figuring out exactly that trigger because he, mm-hmm. didn't, he couldn't get his father the necessary. I should send you, if I can find that link. And it literally was, so he's got this device now and it senses the levels. I, I can't remember what it was. Something happens in the, the moments before in your, I think it was sugar levels or something. And so he's got a sensor. I mean, this is, even fits to what you're doing. That sensor he's using wow. is detecting a heart attack. I don't, I, I don't know how, but that literally, something happens in the, the elevation yeah. of something in your body. Before a heart attack. So I'm please, going to send that to you. Do. I'll find that. Yeah. Let, me, let me find that offline. Wow. Thank You know, Pierre, thank you so much. And to your, uh, it's Colin Dalton and, and Claire Dixon, your, your founders. And any other people you've named out there, like this has been fantastic. Thank you no, so much for, for getting on for today. Time. Oh, I, how did how people find you? Because I know I found you, you were on the, I think Hunter Hub did that thing at the university, the, the collective, it was yeah. an innovation fair. But um, how do people just, find uh, you? Just go to my website, neurora.com, um, and you'll find us there. You yeah. can connect with us directly. Uh, don't hesitate to reach out on LinkedIn as well. Like We, we really believe in the power of community, and uh, because without community, we wouldn't be here. So it's, it's all about getting together and sharing, sharing ideas. So please never be hesitant to reach out. Well, Pierre, thank you so much. And I'm glad three times lucky, three times a charm. I don't know the... The, the, the expressions, but we certainly we found the right time. Thank so you thank so much, you so much. Have a good day. Bye bye. You too.